Every once in a while, we both read a book that makes us immediately text the other to say, have you read this? Isn't it amazing? That's what happened when we recently read A Radical Awakening. Honestly, we were both so blown away by the revolutionary way of thinking and being that is suggested for women in this book. And we were so deeply grateful to find that Dr. Shafali's energy and authenticity matches her reputation. There is little else left for us to say other than this is a can't miss episode and that you should go to Bookshop to order this book immediately. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Would you please introduce yourself for our audience? Hi, I'm Dr. Shifali. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm an author of several books. My newest one is called A Radical Awakening, and I'm so happy to be here with you. We are so excited to have you. You know, one of the quotes that you had in the book really spoke to us, which was this idea of when we allow toxicity to exist for the sake of peace, we're actually perpetuating war. Can you talk us through this idea of the disconnection and unhappiness a lot of women are feeling in society right now, and in particular, how women feel like we need to be self-sacrificing sort of in order to earn love, as in like the pressures of the patriarchy that you mentioned in your book? Yeah, so we are conditioned really to look outward from a really young age. And that whole conditioning and brainwashing has kind of endorsed and championed that to be a good girl, a lovable girl, a worthy girl is to abnegate our inner power so that others feel better around us. This is the predominant message we get subconsciously or consciously. And we adhere to this. And then when we grow up, we are, again, pivoted outward you know, are we worthy based on the compliments we get? Are we worthy based on our weighing machine? Are we worthy based on our bank account or who we're with? And these external indicators keep us from tapping into and aligning with our inner power, inner knowing. And as we do this, we think we're being so lovable. We think we're harmonizing. But these acts of inner betrayal are acts of war against ourselves. And if we are at war against ourselves, it will permeate to our children. And I believe that's how we were raised, you know, with subtle acts of betrayal being passed down generation after generation. And we grow up with a murky sense of loathedness, and we don't know from where this loathing comes from. And it comes from this subtle but very profound push on us women to give up our self-love for the sake of other love. I totally understand that. And I appreciate you saying that. So to me, you know, that feeling of loathing that you mentioned is something that's worth getting rid of. How would you articulate what's in it for women to go through this process of radical awakening? And also, how can we each play a role in helping other women or at least not hurting each other? Because I think we talk about the importance of women being in community. And I can't remember if this was in your book or in the Oprah interview, but you talked about your experience of being a child in India. Can you share a little bit about this like importance here? Yeah, I think when we women radically awaken, we begin to take care of our children, our brothers, people of color and our animals way better. So what happened to me in India is I was being molested on buses, on trains, on sidewalks. I was touched and mauled all the time, you know. My coloring was such, this is that coloring that people in India covet for all colonial reasons. And I was prey. 
And my mother never warned me and armed me with intellectual or emotional support, not because she was mean or evil. She was just dulled to this reality that need to prepare our young girls, that they could be prey and that they need to scream for help and shout and stop being polite and sweet and kind. And so when these things would happen to me and I would look around and no one is telling me that this is happening to them, I thought it was just uniquely my experience until, you know, the Me Too moment where you're like, oh, all my friends have been molested and none of us spoke up. So this is my vehement cry to us women now, the elders, to you know, prepare our daughters. It's not an act of shame to think you could be preyed on. It is a reality. We're smaller. We're not as mighty. And it just doesn't make men evil. It just makes us prepared. But we have such a stigma of shame. And we women also judge each other so much. You know, the other day I was talking to a beautiful woman whose son died unexpectedly and he was anxious and she felt shame. From whom? From other mothers. So we women need to really rise up, understand that we're not against men, but we are for each other. And the only way to topple any toxicity outside is to rise in its antidote from within. So the antidote to toxicity is supreme sovereignty and supreme joyful empowerment from the oppressed. Don't wait for the oppressor to say, you know what? I realize I've had the crown for too long. I'm going to step off the throne. They're not going to step off the throne. So my entire book, A Radical Awakening, is to awaken us women to our power that we got to do this for ourselves. We don't wait for permission. We don't wait for the prince or the princess on the horse. We don't wait for the hierarchy and the patriarchy to topple. We dissolve it simply because of our inner rising through joy, through empowerment, through the ultimate inner liberation that this work can bring about. And on that note then, because what you said was twofold. One is that sometimes women don't speak up and speak for each other, but also we shame each other. And all of that seems rooted in fear. And I really appreciated the part you mentioned in your book about addressing that fear, because I think that's at the core of how women are functioning right now, especially in the United States that is so geared towards fear. What are the things we need to know about overcoming, or should we say even just addressing that fear, living with that fear? You know, fear is biological as you've heard a million times, but I'm talking about this psychological fear, which really stems from an illusion of unworthiness. We have been indoctrinated with the misbelief that we are unworthy. I call it the pill that kills in this book, A Radical Awakening, because unworthiness creates fear. The emotional fear comes from a fear of what? Fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of ostracism, fear of not fitting in. These are mental fears, which are illusions that come from this inner unworthiness. So my entire book is to teach women how this unworthiness is penetrating their psyche and what they can do to armor against it. Culture is designed to make women, especially women of color, feel unworthy. It's literally programmed, you know, like a prescription that if you follow its mandates, end result equals unworthiness. And once you expose culture, you know, I call it awakening from the matrix. Once you expose culture to how it undermines our worth and to see the games culture plays with us and our minds to make us feel bad about ourselves, then we will bust free. So so even the idea that, you know, women can do it all. Yes, of course we can do it all. It shouldn't even be talked about, but we can't do it all right now. 
You know, because we have to nurse our children, we have to recover from our pregnancies, we have to have our menstrual bleeding, we have to recover from so many stressors and the burdens of being the community builders. So when women chase this idea that they can do it all, which means they should do it all, they actually cripple themselves. You know, of course we can do it all. The only reason that we even want that ideal is because we've been suppressed. So the reaction to that is then I want to do it all now. And that burdens us and cripples us. I think that's really powerful because when you are saying that, I think back to what I was, you know, really in taught as a child, right? And as a girl becoming a woman, we can do it all. And the idea that you had to do it all right at that moment, that it was, you know, one moment and that's it. So what you just said really spoke a lot to me. So I thank you for that. When you were speaking a little bit earlier, you mentioned, you know, that some things in particular are harder, right, for women of color. And I really, I want to ask a little bit about that because I think in particular, For our white listeners and our, I mean, obviously from our podcast name, right, we do focus on the role of white women, right, versus the role of women of color and how those differences play out in society. So can you talk a little bit for our listeners and in particular, like I mentioned, our white listeners, why some of this radical awakening work is alternately harder for and also incredibly important for women of color in America. And especially, you know, I I think you mentioned, you talk about breaking legacies of pain. And when I think about this too, I really think about women of color in this role. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for people to perhaps believe that it's been hard for me to get my message out because I'm a woman of color, but I do think it's been partly that, you know, it's difficult. You have a different sounding name. It's not anglified. And people resist that. So I have to work extra hard. You know, thank goodness I'm articulate enough. And thank goodness I, whatever, fit some ideal of how I'm supposed to look enough or whatever. It's just so frustrating because I see my counterparts and they seem, again, I'm projecting to have it much easier. So anyway, your point is that, uh, which you want me to talk about is women of color in the hierarchy under a toxic patriarchy are definitely lower on the list. And we are probably at the end of the totem pole, just above the black man, or sometimes even below the, I mean, there's no comparison, but it just is really difficult. And we are carrying a burden that is invisible. It's not explicit at times, it's an undertone of resistance. And we feel so frustrated because we're working hard or we're as supposedly good as the next person, but there seems to be this invisible barrier You know, I face it every single day and people won't believe I face it because I on paper may seem successful. I know how hard I have to work and pant and puff and sweat way harder than I just feel it that other people have to. And this is the grind. And I will do it willingly because for me, the cause is so worthy to uplift other women. But it is so difficult because there is a hierarchy and there are those who just walk into the door easier. And when it's not a complaint, it's a fact. And people, you know, we women of color don't want to appear as angry. We don't want to appear as strident and complaining and bitching and moaning. But how to say a fact when people deny a fact, you know, then you begin wanting to shriek. And I'd be none of us want to shriek. But, you know, how to persistently keep the foot on the pedal of awareness that this is a reality. 
this is not a preference. This is not an opinion. This is not a, a woman on PMS just in a bad mood. This is a reality. And unfortunately, unless you walk the shoes of someone in color, you don't touch upon it. Therefore, there is this denial that perpetuates in our culture where, quote unquote, you know, those in privilege don't seem to wake up because they don't feel it. So we can't blame them. We have to have compassion for them. I do see my role as educating them like you do. It is frustrating to have to educate, but I see that there's no other option because when they haven't walked in our shoes, how to explain, right? It's not quote unquote their fault. So the only way that they could perhaps understand is by being a woman, right? Like, hello, you're a woman in a patriarchy. So can you understand? But yet a woman who is of privilege in the patriarchy is still very different from a person, a woman of color in the patriarchy. But at least there could be some understanding there. Sexism is not like racism. And, you know, racism is still more pervasive and invading. But these are realities that we must wake up to with compassion and courage. What's your take then? Because... I have been seeing this link more and more about the importance to do the work that you talk about, this idea of awakening, introspection. And I don't see as many white women having had the opportunity to do the work, like you said, because they can get by. A lot of people can get by in this society based on how they show up. And we're still seeing, though, on the same time with this like wave of anti-racism after George Floyd's murder, white people wanting to do more. Based on what you say about families and children sort of passing on their beliefs, you said that earlier on, do you think it's possible for parents to raise anti-racist children without digging in deeply and doing the work, you know, and what could go wrong if they do that? Yeah, you can't bypass one's own embedded stereotypes. Each one of us has a degree of prejudice because we've grown up in this culture. It's pervasive. So to pretend like we're not racist, you know, people don't like to say that they're racist. So if they don't say they're racist, how to become anti-racist, right? We have to first own the shadow, right? And, you know, then if you say that they're racist, they'll say everyone is racist. But really, people of color can't be too racist. I mean, we are, we can be, but we ultimately can't be too racist because racism is against an op oppressive system. And all people of color are oppressed under that system. And these are difficult things for people to hear. And I have seen a lot of curiosity and willingness from white women in my communities. But they also talk about how difficult it is to take the leap because this demands supreme empathy. This demands supremely caring about your fellow women and men. And like you said, if they're getting by and you know they have to work a little hard, but they're getting by, they don't even have the time or energy to care about other people first. And then two, you know, they can't even imagine how difficult it could be, right? It is something beyond grasp. It's like labor. You know, when you deliver a child, you can go to Lamas classes, you can hear about it, read all the books. But when you're in on that labor table and it's coming, nothing can prepare you, right? And you're cursing your Lamas teacher going, what the hell? Like you, but the Lamas teacher says, I could never have prepared. I'm so sorry. So it's like that. You just can't imagine what a person of color goes through and especially our black brothers and sisters. And, you know, to have that kind of empathy takes a great deal of heart and courage. And uh, that's why you and we, I do the work we do. We keep trying to open that heart in a loving way, not angrily, but sometimes it can be frustrating because the heart doesn't open. What's been the biggest resistance you see to people coming to this work? Because like you said, it's not always easy. You sort of feel like you're about to take apart your whole life 
if you dare to challenge and look introspectively at your beliefs and your values? You know, what is the resistance you hear and what are the ways you address that and you help people address that? Yeah, my work only really typically gets resistance. I shouldn't say only. For the most part, I get a lot of resistance. Why? Because I am challenging deeply adhered belief systems around race, around sexuality, around marital institutions, around parenting. And I'm opening doors that are rigidly shut tight based on people's brainwashing from childhood. So they're brainwashed. You know, the mind is abducted. You can't help it. That's why I get resistance. So I deal with it first in my own being with compassion, right? With understanding that I cannot fight resistance with resistance. I have to fight resistance with a sacred calling, with deep understanding, with mature wisdom. And trust me, some days I don't, right? Some days I'm cursing and yelling and screaming at the populace and the mainstream because my work is not mainstream. Your work is not mainstream. It's anti-establishment. The establishment is huge. It's behemoth. It's gargantuan. It's frustrating. (laughs) However, we are not doing this to give up. We're doing this to keep trying. And every day, one or two trickle in to this side. And it's not about this side or that side, but it's about the continuum of consciousness and people coming toward the awakened consciousness that understands separation is evil and everything is a projection of one's inner fear. You know, that's what I teach, that if you're hating on another group, it's because you're hating within yourself. And a truly integrated person will simply never be able to create separation through ideology. You know, so when we attack people's deeply held ideologies, they're going to push back. What do you see is the potential for what could go wrong if people don't dive in and do this work? You know, we've talked a lot. Misasha and I just recently had an episode where we were looking back at this last year. And what are the things that we've seen that have upset us, that are most prevalent in our society this last year. And we were talking about this very increasingly clear divide between people who, what we call me culture versus we culture, this idea of like, we're in it as a community versus I'm going to selfishly pursue money and power and play into the systems, the establishment, like you just said. And I feel like personally, that divide is not sustainable. There will be a collapse at some point. A society can't exist with those two drastically different perspectives in coexistence. But how do you see the driver behind, what is your driver for that work? You know, what could go wrong if we don't embrace it more? It is gone wrong. It has collapsed. The we is not against the me. The we is very tiny. So you are putting yourself in the majority fight. It's a we versus me. No, it isn't, sweetie. It's just the me is winning, baby. We're not winning. We are very tiny. But that doesn't mean we are not mighty, but we are against the machine of a lifetime. And guess what? To me, I know no one wants to hear this. It sounds so utterly hopeless, but I don't believe in empty hope. It has collapsed. We haven't just seen the damage yet, but it's all shattered. It's all coming. And people think this is foreboding. This is like negativistic. No, it's not. It's realistic. You know, if your leg is broken, to keep saying, I hope it'll be fixed is really stupid. You have to take yourself to the hospital. 
And guess what? We're not taking the earth to the hospital. It is done. Watch any David Attenborough's documentaries. He's very sweet. He has a little line of hope at the end, but he kind of says, we have destroyed the earth more in the last 30 years than ever before. We are at the end of the end. It's like the end was over a long time ago. And now the aftermath is just about to hit us. And our naive egotism is keeping us from growing up into adults who truly see the wreckage they are causing. We are the eternal addicts to our own ego who don't want to wake up and we are in denial that there's anything wrong. Ask any addict what is wrong. They'd be like nothing. They're in ultimate denial because of the pain of what they're causing, right? The addict at least comes from great inner trauma. The current toxic patriarchy that has dominated our earth today and taken over everything with such audacity, going to Mars, the moon, all our oceans, is a very toxically masculine patriarchy that is completely in denial. It's the tantruming, toddler, narcissistic child. I mean, you can have images of people who fit that bill in power who have taken over the earth. And it's just a fact. I mean, it's so plain as day. This is the conversation that I'm so happy that we've been having. I mean, we could have this conversation for hours because literally this is, and you know, this is along with your book, which is the book that both Sarah and I, I think we've read a bunch of books and we were both like, this is the book that we needed to read and that we want to tell everyone about. So can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and your book and everything? Cause they need these like fact drops too. Yes. So the book is called A Radical Awakening. It is for the courageous woman who wants to liberate herself from the shackles of the bullshit and raise powerful sons and daughters who are in their worth. And I believe your listeners are all those kinds of women. So they can find the book at aradicalawakening.com. My name is Dr. Shafali. You can find me if you remember my name, but go to aradicalawakening.com. You're still here learning how to uproot systemic racism one conversation at a time. Our fresh news, we have a brand new book that's available for pre-order. So find us on bookshop.org at Dear White Women and order. And then make sure you follow the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so you can keep getting the newest episodes each Wednesday. And don't forget to rate and review us as you share our show with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and Twitter at DWW Podcast. And if you love us, support our Patreon or look for ways you can bring us into your place of employment or circle of influence for a talk or ask us about our webinars and consulting work. Thanks for being here. <laughs>